Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the second installment in our Denis Villeneuve movie review series. Today we are reviewing Maelstrom. This is your co-host, Corbin. And I'm Alan. For those of you wondering what in the world is a maelstrom, well, from what I understand, it's like a big storm. I'm, I I think it's like a Norwegian word, maybe? I I don't know. I went on a Disneyland ride called Maelstrom, mm-hmm. and it was all about these Norwegian gods causing a storm in a boat. It's a cool ride. If you're ever in Florida, check it out. So that's the extent of my knowledge of Maelstrom. But as far as I can tell from watching the movie last night, this isn't really about Norwegian gods that are angry. This right. is um, a pretty intimate look of very visceral look at times about the highs and lows of life it's yeah, we'll talk about it it's pretty interesting mm-hmm. if you're interested in hearing us talk about the scores this movie got how it stacks up against the rest of Denise scores um, the box office for this movie the making of this movie i know this is one of Denis's more philosophical films and just the inspiration behind what he did with this then make sure to check out my guide to Maelstrom. That is the first link in the description below. And while you're down there, um, we do make sure to follow us on Letterboxd, first of all, because we do watch other movies than this. You can check out our thoughts on all the movies and um, some miniseries, actually, that we watch throughout the week. And then we have a curated list. Um, you can go back and listen to the other Denis Villeneuve films we have reviewed. We have reviewed three at this point. So you can go check those out. Um, we also just finished up our Godzilla vs. Kong series. So a lot of curated lists of movies down there um, that we think you would like to listen to after this review. Of course, the next four weeks of the schedule is down there as well. Timestamps so you can jump straight ahead into our thoughts on the movie or jump into the plot if you're curious what this movie is actually about. Or just jump straight to the conclusion to hear our final thoughts and score for this movie. Timestamps are down there as well. Of course, we have links to we're on all major podcast platforms and social media pages. We also have our Patreon page where you can join us. And that's more of an intimate setting for true SSG fans. Uh, We do commentaries, trailer breakdowns, Q&As. We really get to interact with you over there. Collection updates. So go ahead, be a Patreon supporter. It's a great way to financially help us out. It's really inexpensive. We have plans for everyone and that's a great way for you to get bonus content as well. But no matter what, no matter where you are listening, five-star rating does help us out quite a bit. And even a short written review helps out even more. One of our 2021 goals is to be verified critics on Rotten Tomatoes. So by leaving a five-star rating, that's the way we're going to get there. That's just a great way, a great free way to help us out. Well, Alan, Take it away with the trailer, because this is an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, it it very much is an interesting trailer. Um, I got to say, I am kind of interested, though. It seems really weird. Um, 
but an interesting kind of weird. Like we have a talking fish um, and something to do with the lady and something to do with a guy um, that she hits with her car. So I got to say, I'm I'm interested, but I think I know that I'm in for a weird movie. Um, so I would probably, I mean, if, if I, you know, would want to, I, I think this already only showed in Canada, I wouldn't say. Um, so if I was a, a Canadian, maybe I would go and see it. And if I knew French, um, too, um, <laughs> I try and probably catch it, but I would be interested in this one. Um, it's kind of hard to get your hands on now, but I'd be interested. Try almost impossible. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Disclaimer up front listeners. This movie is nigh impossible to get your hands on to review. It's extremely difficult so there is a possibility unless it's been taken down by now you could watch this on youtube but unfortunately this is something that i'm just really bummed about is denise early films are pretty difficult at least his first two films are almost impossible to get any kind of physical or digital copy which really is a bummer i'm I'm really hoping especially with dune coming out they're going to re-release some of these um, older titles in his catalog but as for the trailer would the trailer get me into the theaters to see this movie probably not it looks a little out there and after coming off of august 32nd it looks darker than that um doesn't really look like that movie at all especially the way this film's like lit and shot right. yeah um it does look really strange it does still kind of play off of some of that dark humor we found in his previous film. I don't know. This trailer's maybe a little too much for me. I'd probably wait and read some reviews before making the decision to go to theaters, but this trailer's not quite doing it for me. Fair enough. All right, listeners, if you have not seen Maelstrom, which I don't blame you, I'm guessing almost none of you have seen it, but yeah. thankfully Alan has written a plot for the movie, so you are able to get to know what this movie is all about. So that means... We will be talking spoilers in the plot. Of course, we'll be talking spoilers in the review. So, plot, Alan's about to give it to you. It's about to spoil it for you, which is probably a good thing because there's a there is some philosophy to uh, delve in with this movie. Right, right. All right. Maelstrom opens in a purgatory of sorts, um, where a fish uses its final breaths to recount the story. Of BB, uh, I think it's pronounced Bibane. Champagne, I believe is how that's pronounced. I'm sure it's not correct. I'll be referring it to BB from now on. This is our main character. After getting an abortion, BB is having a hard time coping with the aftermath. Her friend, Claire, helps her through as she's already had three of her own. One night, BB is driving home and she's very drunk from a night of clubbing. She accidentally hits a man who was crossing the street. BB drives off, and the man is able to get to his feet, making it up to his apartment where he eventually dies at his kitchen table. Now with the murder on her hands, BB's life starts to unwind. You see, BB is a child of a famous person named Florence Faber. She also has opened three boutique shops, and she is only 25, so she has a lot to lose. BB tries to push her car into the ocean to hopefully hide the evidence, but she is ultimately unsuccessful, ending up in the ocean herself with her car. She escapes and then later meets a man in the subway where she confesses the murder to him. His advice? Keep quiet about it, especially since no one knows. Bibi then heads to the memorial for a man that she killed is at, and there she runs into the man's son, Evian. The two hit it off and she spends the day with him, helping him with his father's things. 
at a personal memorial with his father's co-workers, each of, each of them wished death upon the murderer. Later, Evian is just about to embark on a plane when Bibi stops him, saying that she wants to make love with him. The pair head back to Bibi's place, and where they do just that. But it doesn't take long for Evian to figure out that she was the one who killed his father. Confused by falling in love with Bibi, but knowing what she did, he finds solace in the same old man who gave advice to Bibi a while ago. In the end, the two hop on a boat and spread Evian's father's ashes into the ocean. The fish just about concludes its story, seeing that it will reveal the secret of our existence before it is put to death. The end. All right, listeners, I have to give a disclaimer up front. I watched the entire film in French without subtitles, which is actually something I've always wanted to do. I've actually always wanted to watch a foreign film in its language and just see how much of it, without being able to speak that language, how much of it I would be able to understand. And this is something that Alan and I were talking about before the podcast, mm -hmm. is a film should be portrayed well enough on screen that no matter what, you still should be able to glean something from it. You should be able to walk away something from it. You shouldn't be utterly confounded. Now, of course, there'll be something here and there that didn't come through with the dialogue, but I would say I probably picked the perfect movie for that because um, Denise's second film here is so, so much a visually driven story. Yeah. And yes, absolutely. There really is very little dialogue, save for, I would probably say, the first and third act. But nevertheless, I was able to track with this movie essentially in its entirety just through the actor's emotions on screen. Um, I, I honestly, I really didn't have much trouble following this movie. And, you know, I think there could be the possibility, like we talked about with August 32nd, mm -hmm. you, you might need subtitles because you might want to know why these two people are going out into the desert. Right, right. <laughs> of Salt Lake City, Utah. But thankfully, this one is quite a bit different. Um, I did actually do a little, little bit of translating. Oh, I actually wrote down my own my own little plot. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, I was about to ask you, like, from the plot that I gave um, and, you know, what you gleaned from it without having the subtitles, you know, what was the difference there? So I'm curious, what was your plot that you had? Okay, here's my plot. Oh, man, I think she's having an abortion. Okay, here's the title card that I translated. To make love, we had to put hatred upside down. Mm -hmm. She is in the shower. When BB take here's two more title cards. When BB takes her shower, she feels his body in three dimensions. Paradoxically, the shower also makes him or her lose contact with time and the world around it. We'll talk about that later. Um, friends or lesbians? Question mark. Throwing up? Question mark. Crashes into Fishman. Somewhat remembers events. Important enough to get an interview. Fashion. Ah, she's a model. Realizes her guilt. Old man probably dead. Tries to expunge her guilt. So much pain and emotional fallout. Tries to lose herself in partying. There's a diver. Will she fall in love with this diver? My guess is the diver is picking up the ashes of Carson, the dead fishmonger, who is his relative. She went looking for what happened to him. They toast to his honor. Um, how will she make amends? Plane crashes he was supposed to get on. She's got to come clean. Man, that's bizarre when he throws his... I thought it was his brother, so I said, man, that's bizarre when he throws his brother's ashes on her bed. Yikes. Oh, yeah. A few weeks later, off the Lofoten Islands is the final title card. So, 
Yeah, I mean, that's that was my plot that I wrote down. So I really feel like I didn't I didn't miss too much. I missed um, what she talked about with the stranger on the subway and that mm-hmm. the son wanted to kill whoever did that. Um, so there's a there's a little bit of um, that dialogue I'm missing, but I think a lot of that just comes through through their emotion. I mean, this is an emotionally driven story. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think that you know a good majority, and it sounds like like from what you were just talking about, you pretty much got the like the, at least the most important bits of the story down. Um, which is again, that's a that's a sign of a, of a at least a well told uh, film, I would say. So yeah, um, I would say that you know from what you have, it's relatively accurate to what ended up being the plot for Maelstrom. Of course, subtitles are always going to help uh, in any film, I would say. But <laughs> yeah, as we were talking about, if the film was told well um, and is edited well, and you know what have you, um, you should be able to pick up a, the majority of you know, of what it's trying, of its story. And it sounds like from what you were saying, it sounds like that is the case. I got to say right off the bat, I am getting straight up eraser head vibes. Yeah. Oh yeah. With, <laughs> yeah, I, Denis clearly took some stuff from David Lynch here. Be, and we even talked about this last time. We were talking about how uh, Mulholland Drive, which is weird because Mulholland Drive came after August 32nd, but probably was taken a little bit from Blue Velvet, um, and I will say there's even a little bit of blue velvet in this movie as well, but the talking fish, there's this really like ugly, creepy, naked butcher. Um, I'm thinking of the baby from Eraserhead and the man in the moon. So there is some parallel here. I'm noticing right off the bat between this fish and then cutting to the, the parallel with the aborted fetus because it cuts to her. Her, we, the first thing we see she's doing is having an abortion, right. which is a pretty heavy way to start a movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I knew that, you know, by looking at the tags for this movie on IMDb, um, it does have, I think it has like abortion in there somewhere, which is already a heavy topic to begin with, um, which I've, I knew at some point it was going to pop up. I was not expecting it to be one of the first things that we see. Um, yeah. So and if it isn't already evident, you know, enough, this movie does deal with some pretty heavy topics. Um, I think that, you know, abortion being probably the heaviest of them all, um, but it's mostly dealing with life and uh, death and things of that nature. So this is not exactly the same as last week's movie, August 32nd. Um, That one was, you know, somewhat cheerful, kind of playful vibe to it. This one's totally not that. It's It's almost a complete 180 from what was August 32nd. It was still dealing with some similar themes, I suppose. Um, but in terms of tone, vastly different. Vastly different. You're right. This is a much heavier movie. Mm-hmm. And at least from what I gleaned from the trailer, um, I did pick up on some of the dark humor um, later, on, later on, actually, even yeah. without the subtitles, I picked up on it. I'll, we, I'll talk about that in a minute. But um, we did talk about there was a little bit of humor in August 32nd as well. This is a little more off the wall, I would say. But um, yeah, and I was surprised to see those title cards as well cut into it. Um, There's not much of it, but they're highly philosophical about feeling your body in three dimensions while you take a shower. But it's also paradoxically because... The shower also makes her lose contact with time and the world around it. So we're immediately shown this woman that 
seems to want to absolve herself in some ways of her choices. Because water is used frequently whenever BB has some sort of an issue. She immediately seems to come home and jump in the shower and wants to take a shower right away. And even the film is intercut with what seems to be like pouring waves or what would look like a ship cutting through water and the waves bouncing off of it. Right. But water is huge in this movie. And right off oh, the yeah. bat, we see that there is water is an absolving agent and there's somehow BB wishes to be absolved of these choices. That's what I got from it at least. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Um, like you mentioned, usually water, especially water that is falling on the face and down the body um, and, and film is, you know, typically meant as some kind of symbolic uh, cleansing um, of their past sins or uh, their wrongdoings or what, what have you. Um, that and that uses that is used a lot in the first. I would say it's, it's used more heavily um, in that first act in the first about half of the film. Um, but it's still used a, a bit towards the end. And I think it's interesting too, because when you look at the end from beginning to end, beginning of the movie and the end of the movie, there are a lot number of parallels, um, or things that kind of come back. Um, because we open with, you know, the fishmonger, um, sharpening his blade, right? Um, and then of course the fish is talking to us and that's exactly how it closes. Um, and at the end of the story, uh, or I, I guess intercut throughout, it'll cut to, like you mentioned, you know, the boats cutting through the waves um, in the ocean or some, some kind of body of water, right? Um, but then at the end of the story, I would say that it's almost like a somewhat of a self-reflection, um, maybe, because it's like, you know, we we're on, she was on that boat the whole time with the sun um, at the end of the story. So... Yeah, you're right. Water is used very symbolically in the story. And there are also, adding on to that, this movie also likes to, once it reaches the end of the story, kind of wrap back around and kind of replay the things that we saw before. Now, of course, with mm -hmm. more clarity and with the context of the rest of the story. Yeah, and you're right. She has been on that ship the whole time. You realize, and the movie opens up with the title credits of kind of that water pouring through as well. Mm -hmm. And that we've come to realize that BB has been on this journey all along, even if she never realized it per se. Right. But I really do like the sound of running water that we just hear through different scenes throughout this movie because it is kind of this constant reminder of life. I mean, when a baby is in the mother's womb, you know, it's also surrounded by water. It's surrounded in this kind of aquatic life and our mm -hmm. body is like 70% water or something. Um, not to get gross here, but I do think even the water sounds sometimes kind of even sound a little bit like urinating, which makes me think of expelling toxins. Yeah. And so I think there is just kind of that. I think there's a lot of duality to this movie. There's just kind of this dichotomy of life and death mm -hmm. because um, we see the fish die, the baby die. We see the old man get run over and die. Mm -hmm. And so we see kind of a lot of this tragedy that's cut out through life. But through this tragedy, something good can come from it, which I found to be very interesting. Um, the other thing is, I think BB thinks this water, hoping the water will conceal rather than cleanse her of her sins because she right. is trying to push the car in the water. And then ultimately she decides to get in the car and drive off. And I was really shocked, honestly, at that moment. Um, 
And then they leave us in suspense whether she lives or not. Right. But um, she does she does climb out of that water. So I'm conflicted on that scene because in a way it is kind of like this baptism. It is like this rebirth because you can tell from there on she she tries to do better with her life instead of just lose herself in like partying and drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I don't think there's much atonement except for she does come clean to Evian, but uh, we can save that for a little bit afterwards. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's just, there's a lot to do with the water here. And I mean, I guess kind of seeing on that same kind of track, you know, this, the movie, the way that this movie ends, I think is really interesting because after at a certain point, Evian is then, you know, as you mentioned, he, he's told the truth, you know, she comes clean and she tells him, you know, it was me. I was the one who, you know, murdered your father by accident, you know? And so he has a choice to make. He has his father's remains. Um, but he's also fallen in love with the same woman who has killed his father. So, you know, he's conflicted. And of mm-hmm. course, we get the scene of him at the bar and talking to the old man. Um, he's conflicted on, you know, you know, what should he do, right? And when he goes back home later that night, he kind of goes a little bit nuts and tosses the ashes of his father onto our main character, <laughs> Bibi. Um, mm-hmm. But it's at least somewhat resolved when she's able to vacuum it up, put it back in the box, and then they are able to dump it out at sea, leaving these two together, um, you know, Almost, I guess, I guess we could say that they are uh, in a relationship now. But it, I guess the point of the whole, right. the point of the whole story is that you know these two opposite sides um, are able that is love and hate or life and death are able to come together in some kind of harmony at the end of the day. Um, so that I think is also another interesting thing of the story too. Is you know especially when it brings in the son of this whole matter. I think that's when things start to really turn on their head. And the story also starts to go in a bit of a different direction there too, because it will mm-hmm. um, show you the sun and then kind of go back in time and show you how it's worked, how it actually happened, um, both sides of the story. So I found that yeah. it'd be kind of interesting the way that this film ended to me. Yeah, I did like that aspect where there's always there's always some other side to the story mm-hmm. because she's like, oh, this fish is stale. Well, that's because the guy that um the guy that does it normally is dead and he just so happens to be dead because of bb's poor choices and so like i was saying there is kind of this movie is kind of about the cycle of life in -hmm. certain ways and how like tragedy can lead to happiness but then that happiness can fall short and tragedy can reoccur and come back on itself and yeah i was i was uh, intrigued by that i didn't expect um, the story to necessarily go in that direction for his son to come into the story. Mm-hmm. And I like that Denis made the son a diver. He, we see him diving at this like giant dam or something. And symbolically that depicts that he goes down into the depths. He searches places and finds things that are hidden to the naked eye, to people that normally don't see it. So we know right. that what he's, she is not going to be able to conceal very long what she's done. What she is done in the dark will be brought to the light, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a good choice as well. Um, yeah. I got to say, the way Denise shoots this film is very different. He is shooting this, my guess is with using tons of light. Sometimes it seems like there's a bit of a blue filter or 
uh, blue bias to some of the stuff here. It just evokes this feeling that these characters are kind of living in this almost water world, almost in this like aquatic world as well. So mm-hmm. not just is it water visually represented, um, like literally, but it's also kind of metaphorically always around these characters through the cinematography. I want to know what you think of that. Cause this movie, like that shot of her, um, getting the abortion and in the shower. I mean, it is like crystal clear. Yeah. It's like almost hyper realistic. I just want to know your thoughts on that. Yeah. No, I think that just kind of in general, though, this film was shot really interestingly. And I, I usually like the way, like it when films kind of shoot in a way that, brings out the realism um this is very much an introspective um character uh, introspective character drama um it's focused on our main character you know the choices that she makes and how you know how is she going to handle you know being put in a situation like this but yeah starting off this movie with the way that it does um it's really interesting because the first a number of the shots in the opening are uh are like way overexposed but on purpose right usually you know when you overexpose something uh i guess i shouldn't say usually but you know you can easily make it look very amateurish if you overexpose something um you're not careful but this is a different story where it almost feels like it's like in some kind of dreamlike state um almost giving her like an somehow angelic presence which will maybe come back a bit later um because there's a line where he call where evian calls her an angel because he, she saved him from the plane crash um so yeah this movie definitely is shot very very interestingly there are a ton of like super close-ups on our main lead um as she's like doing something and we always get to see and almost live out the expression that's on her face so yeah, the way that Denise shoots this movie, again, different from August 32nd, um, it feels a lot more personal this time. Um, and of course, that is seems to be Denise's goal here. Yeah, and I think the cinematography changes as the movie goes along mm-hmm. because what begins as this almost hyper real scene where um, she is getting the abortion, where it's just almost this crystal clear moment where he wants us as the audience to kind of feel everything that she's feeling. And it's like almost time is stopping as she goes into the shower and there's those mm-hmm. philosophical title cards. But then as the movie goes along, these, you know, high level title cards are replaced with really nothing, you know, as her life becomes more debased and her life loses meaning. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the film stops being overexposed and um, a lot of the sequences take place at night. And it's contrasted with the fishmonger who lives in this kind of cheap, not very glamorous life. And then it becomes, uh, but then the film also kind of rises back up to when she goes up to her apartment mm-hmm. and fornicates with that Mr. Six Pack or whatever. And that's also super bright as well, which I found to be very um, interesting because usually in movies, um, sex scenes are usually like very dark and Mm -hmm. shot in what tries to be this kind of like weird romanticism to it. Whereas this wasn't very romantic at all. It really had, um, I don't, yeah, I don't really know what what other word for it, but there's really no romance to it. It's just this kind of purely carnal scene. Um, especially the way that they have sex. Um, I should disclose that right now, listeners, that if you do watch this film, there is some 
graphic nudity and sex in it. I mean, it's, I wouldn't say it's necessarily pornographic, but just be cautious with that. So this may be something you might not want to watch or skip over, but nevertheless, um, and then it cuts back to later on when she finally does, um, have sex with Evian. It is shot in a different way than it was before. And you can tell that their relationship is different. It's more dark and concealed because Mm -hmm. she is scared and actually has something to hide and has something to lose. So the way Denise shoots this film is very deliberate, um, which is becomes almost a storytelling device in it of itself how he shoots and how he lights certain scenes so as far as how this film is technically presented i'm very impressed yeah i am too i am too i'm also curious to know what you think about the choices of music because while you probably weren't able to really follow along with what they were saying um (laughs) i bet you could at least feel what in terms of what they were what denny was going for with the music so i don't know if how much of it was original um, I know that there are some pop songs, or at least pop songs that were not original used in this film. Um, right. But I'm curious to know what you think about the way that this film uses its music. I think the score is creates uh, appropriate atmosphere for this movie. As far as the soundtrack goes, like you said, with some of those songs, like when she hits that guy and even at the end of the movie, it's almost like this Greek or Italian sounding song and it's in the trailer mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's to me, it's strange. Um, that um, star star shine song that's all in English. Oh, yeah. I found yeah. to be really weird as well. Um, uh, so... I will say that's actually one of the disappointing aspects for me is I feel like the musical choices don't always fit and they create either an inconsistent tone or maybe one that's at least leading. I'm I'm not sure how it's supposed to make me feel. Mm-hmm. Um, as for the original composition, I think is good, but the the actual songs in this are strange. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to know what you thought of that as well because uh, Good Morning Starshine, okay. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. There are definitely some um, interesting choices that are made uh, when it comes to its music in this film. But I, I ended up like really, really enjoying um, a lot of the more um, pieces that have a choir attached to it. Those are like I always enjoy. Um, I guess I'm just old school, but I always enjoy like a dark uh, organ or like a choir like this. Um, those always really. Uh, those are things I always really enjoy. So they use a choir a lot in this or songs that you utilize, a, you know, a, a choir. Um, and of course, they don't really use it in an organ, but, uh, you know, they still, even even with this use of the English song, you know, Good Morning Starshine or Sunshine, um, while, it, while weird, um, I think it, I think it's, uh, there is one point where they use a song twice uh at the beginning and end at the end just to kind of tie it back i maybe it's the song that you're talking about um but i think that of course th- along with this film being shot the way that it is very deliberate for denis um and also being written kind of in a cyclic pattern it's signed kind of the same story with the music i feel because they do repeat a lot of the music cues that you know mm-hmm. that they have from the beginning and at the end um and i feel like you know along with everything else 
music choices are very deliberate on Denis' part to build a mood or call back to something that happened, you know, in the film previously. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I really think he is trying to at least give us this feeling of sometimes we do feel just this complete elation in life, hence the star sign star, gosh, star shine song. My word, Mm -hmm. that is a tongue twister. I think he's trying to give us those elated feelings. But then there also is those feelings. I I can't tell whether it's Greek or Italian. It's Mediterranean of of some kind. But there Mm -hmm. is also that kind of really um, dancey song as well. um, That, uh, I don't know. That that one is, I'm not sure that one quite fits for me. But as far as you were talking about the other ones, there is kind of this operatic feel in some ways to the score also and to me sometimes it felt like kind of like a modern day greek opera or tragedy mm-hmm. where it's just kind of this mishmash of both where it's a tragedy but it's also a comedy um and it's all kind of framed through this grotesque talking fish i mean usually those greek um tragedies or operas were always told through some kind of framing device or some kind of narrator and there was uh the chorus that would they didn't necessarily sing but or at least they would sing what is going on to kind of fill you in on it but there is kind of that operatic feel i thought um and of course i like the dark humor um he's carrying his um father's urn in a plastic sack which i thought was just kind of a funny little moment you know i I do have to say i'm Kind of going back a little bit to some of its visuals, because we got talked about cinematography, but in terms of like, you know, how this film looks outside of just the cinematography, I'm really digging this. Like, I I, I called it in the plot summary, I called it like a purgatory state um, with yeah. the fishmonger sharpening his blade. He's the one mm-hmm. who is, you know, cutting up the fish, uh, which very well could be. You know, again, if it's a purgatory state, now we can see him as the guy that our main character, BB, ended up hitting on the road. Um, so it's, I'm really, like, this is very Lynchian to me. especially very Eraserhead to me. Um, opening with something like this, and we always keep cutting back to it. It's just like this weird purgatory state where this fish is telling us this tale of a woman who um, who kills a man and whose life goes into a downward spiral um, and stuff while we have this fishmonger, you know, filleting and whatnot in the background every time it cuts back to it. It's a really strange visual, but man, do I love it. Yeah, I really like the set design of that as well. Mm-hmm. Very strange. Feels like it's just taken it feels like david lynch was on set and he's like you know what i think i think you should have a talking fish and um but once again you can tell denis is doing this deliberately i found it very surprising when the fish started talking in the beginning of the movie and i also thought what kind of movie am i in for and then come to realize that really has nothing to do with the look of the rest of the film that's not the setting it's not this weird as you called it purgatory type hellscape type thing Mm -hmm. but as far as that talking fish goes and especially once you come to find out he's about to reveal the meaning of life at the end before he's killed i did see this in two ways i saw this movie as somewhat nihilistic with the death of this fish and how 
the meaning of life doesn't really matter. Life is not just forget the philosophy of it all and just be as happy as you can find the person that you want to love and it all works out in the end. And then of course, with the baby, the fetus dying in the beginning through the abortion, you know, I, at first I was kind of seeing this just kind of, just kind of nihilism. There really isn't else outside of life. But then I started to see it in a different way, actually. And because this movie is far too philosophical to be nihilistic, really, especially when you go back and you reread the beginning title cards, you really begin to see that there is some kind of divine providence laced throughout this story. Because BB saves Evian from crashing on the plane. And that makes him realize that, as you said, I didn't catch this because I didn't have the subtitles, but he called her an angel. And he comes to realize that, and that's in, he, in his anguish, he is so torn because she killed his father, but at the same time, she saved his life. She, he, but then at the same time, would he have ever even gotten on that plane if his father hadn't died? He wouldn't have found this woman that he loves. So you can see there is some kind of divine providence working throughout it. I also actually saw this fish as, believe it or not, I saw this fish as Jesus. Mm -hmm. Call me crazy. But um, there's, the ichthus is a Christian symbol for a fish. I don't really know the... Uh, story behind it, but go ahead and look up Ichthus and you'll understand that. So having a fish represent Christ and that Christian symbolism has been around for a very, very long time. So, and we also see this baby come into the world, but it is killed as well. So in a way, I'm kind of thinking of this as Christ because Christ was crucified on the cross and what he was able to impart, you know, the gospel and wisdom to the world. But at the same time, he was cut down in his prime. You know, he was in his early 30s. If he hadn't been killed, what more could have happened? What, how much better could the world have been? And so, in a way, I see this fish as, you know, something that, you know, is a part of life and a part of creation, but is treated as, you know, something to just be thrown away. And it also kind of makes you stop and wonder what a part of God's creation are we just discarding and what could we be missing out on? What, what wisdom could we learn through creation that we're just not giving consideration to? So my nihilistic thoughts turned into very deep ponderances as well. So I really appreciated it. Yeah, I, I think that those are both what you were talking about are both really interesting and really good readings of, you know, that ending with the fish or even just the fish in general. Um, and, and I get, I guess some, not necessarily how I read it, but uh, one way that I think it could also be interpreted is when the fish is about to tell us, you know, the meaning of life. Um, I, actually, I have the quote written down right here and I'll read it. Um, All that's left for me to do is to reveal the great secret of your, of your existence. You are all, and then the head is chopped off. Um, it almost feels like maybe, you know, uh, because the is the fishmonger who is the one who holds holding the blade. It almost feels as if, you know, maybe we're not worthy, we're not ready for the answer to this 
or to what this quote would have been had the fish gone kept going. So I think you're right. I think that's an interesting thought. You know, how much more of creation, how much more of God's creation, you know, would we have been able to, or even just if Jesus was alive, how if he was to be alive longer than just, you know, 30, 30 odd years, um, how much more would we know? How much more would we have been able to learn? That is an interesting, really interesting thought. You're right. Very philosophical. Very uh, interesting. Interestingly deep for a movie that's about a talking fish and a woman whose life goes in a downward spiral um, because of a of choices that she's made. Um, it it's interesting that you know for a movie that's only like an hour and twenty something minutes um, that it's able to go down some really interesting and philosophical and deep paths. Um, when you really look back and think about it, because it is weird. Like this is, don't get me wrong, this is a very strange movie. But I've always found that some of the stranger films, um, especially ones that are like, you know, David Lynch or even this one, and I would even consider um, August thirty second to a certain degree. You know, when you have a film like this that is weird and a bit a bit more artsy fartsy, um, you know, a good film will be able to go down deeper paths without having to take three hours to explain itself. Um, I don't think this is necessarily anything super crazy when it comes to, you know, uh, how deep it really goes, but at least it it brings in the thought, right? The thought is there, like you were just talking about. Um, and I think that's exactly what, what it's trying to hit. Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, I think it's possible that there's, you know, not one right interpretation of what we're saying. I'm mm -hmm. not saying that either of us are totally right, but nevertheless, what... What honestly makes a great film is one that gets you thinking and gets you talking and gets you pondering those deep questions of life. And I'm super impressed that he can take something. I mean, but even think about Christ's crucifixion. That was so horrific and bloody and there it's just like hard to even imagine or look at, especially if we saw it in real life. I mean, he was... Mm -hmm his body was utterly shredded and destroyed and so there just has to be some kind of connection i think with this fish because this fish is really gross and it's in such a gross place and it clearly knows some truth that we don't know that it's not revealed to us but it's like it never will be revealed to us now is it not going to be revealed to us because you know we reject it because we don't deserve it or maybe it's because we do know it and we're just not looking for it and i think that's why it honestly ties back around to the beginning and it's clearly contrasted with the aborted fetus is that she is clearly terminating this life and ending it because she doesn't want to know what it would be like to have this baby it clearly doesn't fit into her plans but then it's very interesting because it comes around and she does find you know fulfillment outside of herself because and i really do like that he makes her um in the fashion world he gives her this very vain profession that is seemingly very self-centered and she has this friend that constantly enables her and never really seems to give her any great advice but then towards the end of the film she does find evian who um, now she's responsible not just for his father's life but she questions what to do with, you know, his life, integrating their lives together, sharing a life together. 
And clearly, I think that um, as far as I know, correct me if we're correct me if I'm wrong, Alan, we never know who impregnates her and um, whose baby she's aborting aside from her own. I mean, right. Yeah. I don't remember the film ever bringing up, you know, who exactly the father would have been in for her at the beginning. No, but I think that hope is pretty obvious there at the end that these two are going to create a life together. And I mean, it's just so inherent with the circle of life. I mean, they're scattering the father's ashes into the wide ocean into, Mm -hmm. I don't know, whatever you call it, mother earth or something is taking that on and a new relationship is formed. And when a man and a woman get together, dot, 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 you feel, you know what happens. We're going to keep it. PG as best we can on this episode. Denise making it a little hard with this one. Yeah, but, this one, yeah. Uh, but I got to say, just ultimately, before I get into any of my negatives about this movie, I got all of this from watching this without subtitles. So this is like, I would give this to somebody as the perfect ev- example of show, not tell. This is... Yeah. And this is what you always want to do when creating a story. Even if you're writing a story, you need to create the picture in the reader's heads or on screen. You need to evoke it through the emotions, through the acting, even through, you know, technical aspects of as well. I think this movie is a great example of showing, not telling, even without the subtitles. I got the story and the message Denis was trying to go into it with right yeah and that, and that is a sign of a at least a well-told film like we've been saying right um that is i'm very impressed. i mean luckily this is only an hour and a half or not even an hour and a half so you know you don't have to keep track too long with what's going on um but yeah that is very impressive that you know you were able to track along and pick up for the most part pick up everything at least all of the important bits so very impressive i'm only a second film, uh, technically third, if you call if you consider Cosmos, even though he only directed a segment. Um, I'm very impressed with how he directed and finished Maelstrom. Now, the one thing that I'm not too pleased about with this film is I think the plot, at least when we get into mostly the third act, becomes somewhat cliche, where the murderer or doesn't even have to be murderer somebody who wronged um a person and then they meet up with the loved one and the loved one doesn't know that they are the person that hurt their friend or family member they form a relationship they become best friends or fall in love or something and Mm -hmm. then they find out it was them all along and then they get mad at them and they want nothing to do with them. And then their life falls apart, but then they come back together in the end. They were meant to be. I've seen this quite often. If you listen to my review of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I might have touched on it. It's a plot point in that TV show, which just came out. So I've, I mean, I've seen this a lot before. Yeah, no, you're right. This is definitely um, the, I, I think I've heard it like the liar reveal plot. Um, it's one that is used quite often. Um, <laughs> I think that here, at least it has a better, a much better setup than what usually would happen with something like this. Um, because we at least get to see, you know, before it all happens and then, uh, you know, how does she deal with that after the fact? So 
I think that at least while you're right, it is one that a trope that is used way too often, at least here, I think that this is one of the better examples I can give of, you know, this kind of same plot of, you know, the misunderstanding or uh, the liar reveal plot. I think it's better, but I think you're right. It is one that has been overdone. Yeah, I mean, I do agree. I think you go before that even becomes a plot. You're even it's not even a plot until towards the latter point of the movie, but at least the front of the movie is loaded with so much emotion and you get to see how taking somebody as insignificant seemingly as a fishmonger out of this world, how that affects other people and possibly significant or insignificant ways. Now, because she ruins the lady's food, which is insignificant, but she takes um, Evian's father away, which is Mm. highly significant. Um, and then, of course, you kind of get to see that uh, happiness through tragedy, which is kind of what we've been talking about here. I will say my one big knock against this film is I can do without, and I touched on it before, I can do without the graphic nudity and sex. I think right. here it's unnecessary to the storytelling. Goes into our review of Blade Runner 2049. There, I don't believe there's any sex in that movie, but there is nudity, somewhat gratuitous. I will make the case that that nudity is not exploitative because I believe Denis is making a statement on where society is headed to this hypersexualized world where the human body is really no longer sacred. It's just on display for all the world to see. And mm-hmm. even how, um, uh, Wallace uses the body just for his own purposes. It's fascinating. Check that movie out. We just love that movie. So we if the if there's an opportunity to bring up Blade Runner forty nine, we're going to take that opportunity. <laughs> oh yeah. So oh ab- absolutely. But as far as this movie goes, I mean, it there's really only two scenes that um, have it. I just think it's unnecessary. So I think Denis is better than this. I th- I mean, now maybe in the French culture, from what I understand, they view nudity in movies in a different way, but I still don't think it's really necessary in this movie, especially with how graphic it is. So I know Denis better than this, so I'm I'm kind of disappointed that we get as much as we do. I don't need it to get the point across. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think that um, for me, I can, the it's this, I think it's the first time um where there's a sex scene that's when i'm just like oh okay because it just kind of goes on for a while and it's weird and it's (laughs) you know strange um i get the second one i can see the second one i can see more of why it's there because it is like their relationship beginning uh her and evian's um so that i mean that one i think i feel like that one has more of a point to the story um but the first one i can agree with you on i think the first one the first time that they have a sex scene, that one does interesting. And I think it's a bit too uh, explicit for I don't know, what this film is going for. So yeah, that, yeah. that's, I'll agree with you halfway, I guess. Uh, I think that for the second time, I think it, it definitely serves the story. The first time I don't, I don't think it, uh, the way that it plays out at least, I don't think it's necessarily, I don't think it really serves it as much. Yeah, and I mean, I think there could be a love scene uh, between her and Evian at the end. I just don't think it needs to be explicit as it is, which is shockingly graphic. So, uh, I don't know, Denis. Don't We haven't got to Enemy yet. Denis, Mm -hmm. I mean, Denis seems to 
put nudity frequently in his movies. Not all of them, but yeah, I think this is probably the worst of it. So uh, I'm honestly shocked this movie got the R rating and didn't get the NC-17 for some of that. So I don't know. So there's a scene somewhat early on um, where our main character, BB, goes and talks to a guy um, and he essentially tells her because I, I and I watched the scene a couple of times and I didn't really understand like I was I, I was having a hard time picking up what was going on in this scene. She VB visits a guy in, an, in like a really expensive office and apparently she owes him like two hundred thousand dollars, I think, um, or something, something along those lines. And she doesn't have it. And so he tells her to go on the run. Um, that is there. I didn't understand what the what its reason was. Um, and I don't think it really comes up again. Um, maybe I just missed something. But that was one scene where I'm just like, what in the world? What's this about when it played out? So that was one scene where I'm just like, what in the world? Um, I must have missed something here. So I did go and read the plot description on Wikipedia. Are you referring to the character Philippe? I think that's her brother. Is that her brother? Yeah, it was Philippe. Not that you said his name. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't she like throw her phone into the water at one point? Yeah. Yeah. So from what I've reasoned, she can't even rely on her own family because she's like business partners with her brother. Now, I didn't read the subtitles, but I did garner this from the Wikipedia plot is that he's, I don't know how to appropriately say it. He's basically screwed her over out of their mm. business dealings from what I understand. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, I guess that does clear it up. Um, I mean, the one I, thing I will agree with you on is you're right. He is a character introduced in act one and he's never brought mm -hmm. up again. And so it seems in insignificant, um, also, it seems like her friend just kind of disappears as well. So, I, I will say there is some confusion with that that I will agree with you on. Um, mm. I'll also say it's a somewhat confusingly edited um, when she drives into the water and then we're supposed to wonder if she's dead or not. And then it cuts yeah. to um, Evian, the diver. And I'm thinking he's trying to fish her car out of the water, but then he's in a totally separate spot and he goes to get his dad's ashes and then it just shows her walking through the lobby and then they meet. And then right. it kind of replays and goes back in time and shows her climbing the ladder out of the water. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure Denis was probably trying to do that on purpose, but it is confusing honestly yeah i wasn't super confused by that um but i did feel like maybe this film is uh playing a little bit too much on the cliche or not the cliche playing a little bit too much on the coincidence um when it comes to something like that um i didn't think it was necessarily too bad but uh i was something that i was especially when she runs into evian at the I, i'm not entirely sure what it would be called but like the, uh, I, I guess the memorial site for, you know, his urn, um, or his ashes. Um, I feel like that and a couple of other things when it comes to like how the sort of wraps her back around the, towards the second half felt a bit more, you know, too coincidental, but you know, I've seen worse films where things are 
only built on the coincidence um, that we've actually reviewed. So one other thing, I mean, kind of going on with uh, what we were just talking about, I feel like this film sometimes doesn't explain things properly. Um, there is, of course, the whole scene with the brother and how she can't rely on the family. Um, I was always confused by that. Um, there's also a scene where like a reporter comes in and is like talking to her and there's like a photo shoot. Um, yeah, of course that ends up leading into, um, something a bit later. So, I mean, I feel like parts of this movie, while they are there and they serve the movies, this, they serve a purpose. Um, I feel like sometimes they aren't exactly explained very well to how exactly it all really works together when it's all said and done. Yeah, you're exactly right. I think at the very least, the first part of this movie is probably somewhat jarring going mm. between opening with this fish and at least it was jarring for me having this fish and this fishmonger and it kind of cuts back and forth with that. And then her life where she has an abortion, she's partying, she's with her friend, she's getting interviewed, she's mad at this dude. And yeah, so it. It's kind of weird because I would, oh, <clears throat> I would almost describe it as kind of coming down a rocky mountain and then you get to drive on the nice pavement for the rest of the way. Because I do think there is that point in the movie where it hits its stride with where it wants to tell the story and how it's edited and just the movie just feels different, I will say, probably for the second half. I think Denis is trying to set up this character has a hard life. She's clearly very young and successful, but at the same time, she's kind of throwing it all away. So I think he's trying to set that up there in the first act for us to show how the accidental manslaughter um, affects her life from there on out. I'll talk about this in my conclusion in a minute, but it still just shows me that this is Denise's second film and he's not quite sure how to integrate what he wants us to think of this character in the first act and how to really make it connect with the preceding acts. I do think it's a little rocky getting to where that is because the rest of the movie, I think, is fairly smooth and coherent. Mm -hmm. But that first bit, you're right. It's a little bumpy. Yeah. Yeah. And there definitely are like two halves of this movie where the first half is much different than the second half um, when it comes to how Diddy tells it. I mean, you could also see that as just like how, you know, the how Evian and uh, and BB come together, even though despite, you know, what happened between the two of them, they come together to love each other. Um, it could be something as that same way where these two parts of the story are told very differently for their, for their very different reasons, but they come together to tell the full story. Um, but even then it does kind of, I think it does kind of impede a little bit on how it tells that story. Well, Alan, there's been quite a bit to talk about with this movie, but just like with Denise film, we got it done in a pretty good amount of time. I think, mm -hmm. you know, there's just a lot to dissect, but at the same time, Denise does a good job of condensing it. So, that does make me very curious because uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just going to let you go and give your 
rating and recommendation. I'm very curious to to know where you're going to come out with this one, especially this one. Mm-hmm. Maelstrom is a very as if you know August 32nd on Earth wasn't already lynching in itself. This one is even more so. I feel. Um, and that's a good thing because we're, as I think is pretty obvious, you and I are pretty big fans of David Lynch, um, and seeing, you know, somewhat filmmakers make, take that same kind of visual style down their own thing is always very interesting to see. So I think that this, when it comes to its visual style, when it comes to how it tells its story in certain ways, you know, what the story is, it feels very Lynch and is very, very interesting. Um, and is surprisingly philosophical uh, and deep for a movie that's an hour and 27 minutes um, and, you know, is by a very, you know, at this point, you know, pretty new filmmaker on the scene. Um, I think where this film falls short is more of just how it tells its story. Some of that graphic nudity, I feel like, as we talked about, is more or less unneeded. Um, but I think all the way around, it's rather solid. I think that there are, of course, some pitfalls, but they seem to be you know, ones that I can kind of, you know, I can put behind me because the story of this is so interesting to me. So I think it's good. I think Maelstrom is good. I'm, I was curious to see it um, since I, well, since I knew that it was even a thing that existed. Um, so I'm glad that we did get review it for this, uh, for this podcast. So I think I'm going to give it a positive rating. I think we're going to land on a seven. Um, I'm going to give it a, uh, I won't give it, a somewhat mild recommend. Um, I would say it's more towards a normal recommend than a not. Um, this is one that you definitely have to go and prepared for because it's not it's not August 32nd on Earth. Even uh, it's very dense. Um, it's got a lot to talk about, a lot to think about. Um, there's a lot to it. So seven out of 10, somewhat mild recommend. Maelstrom is an interesting film, to say the least. Interesting from a directorial standpoint and narrative one as well. In some ways, it's an epic, yet at times cliche story. A story about the cycle of life. The movie literally opens with the death of a fetus and ends with the death of a fish. Giving off this slightly nihilistic endnote to life, that there's really no grand meaning to life, Rather, happiness can be found only temporally, and not necessarily through atoning for our sins, but through this random, possibly intelligent design. In many ways, this is a story about the dichotomy of life. The ying, the yang, the vapid pursuant of numbing pain, and high ecstasy of embracing a lover. Despite this possible nihilism, though, there seems to be an attribution to a higher power, And we ruin our chances of learning the truth by discarding the least among us, i.e. the fish and the baby. In fact, there's actually possibly a Christian narrative here. Water clearly represents rebirth or baptism. The fish and infant could represent Christ's sacrifice and how we have discarded the truth he's given us. And also in the divine providence that BB saves Evian from going on that plane. Despite accidentally committing manslaughter against his father, she saves his son and the two find happiness through tragedy. Or maybe should I say redemption. I appreciate Denis is pouring philosophical and theological aspects into his story, but I can't ignore certain plot elements are cliche. Like I said with my last review, I still believe this shows that great things are to come with Denis, 
they're just not here yet. Maelstrom receives six stars out of ten with a mild recommend. So I gotta ask, if uh, this was available on Blu-ray, would you pick it up? I... I think I would pick it up. I think it's a movie that's worth revisiting because I think there's enough here to talk about and dissect and probably I think this movie would re reward on repeat viewings. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, honestly, not even necessarily with the subtitles. I think the subtitles would bring some insight into it. But I think even sometimes without sub the subtitles, there's there's actually a little bit more clarity to just mm -hmm. what he's depicting on screen. Because remember, movies are first and foremost a visual medium. Second is the writing and the storytelling that comes through the writing. The storytelling should always come through the visuals on the screen. So, right. you know, in some ways, in some ways, honestly, I just treated this movie like it was a silent movie. I mean, Alan showed me Joan of Arc, which is a fantastic silent movie, and there's no talking in that. Now, mm -hmm. I believe there is some subtitles, but it, you could cut those subtitles out and you could still completely enjoy that movie. So, for me, it would be a pickup. I think the price would have to be right, though. Like, if, if like, let's just say Blu-ray.com announces a pre-order going up tomorrow, and it's like 30, 35 bucks or something, I would have to wait till it was like, 10 bucks or something. I think I'm with you. I think I would pick it up. Um, it's definitely one that's kind of what, you know, the kind of film that I find really intriguing. Um, one that's just weird uh, and has a lot to it that you can unpack. Um, so yeah, I think I'm with you. I think I'd pick it up. Um, looks like there does seem to exist a DVD of it, Region A. Um, New for $130 on the Amazon Marketplace. Oh, that'll... Kind of hard to get your hands on unless you want to shell out a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll have to pass on that one. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I don't think it's... I, I like this movie, but I don't know if I wanted to pay 130 bucks for it. Well, Corbin, we've mentioned Lynch um, a bit in this review. Um which I guess is kind of keeping a line so far with what we've done for Denis Villeneuve in those first two movies. What else would you recommend? What other movies would you recommend after seeing uh, Milkstrom? Well, I am going to recommend Blue Velvet, which also has some graphic nudity. So if, if that's a problem for you, then stay away from that one. But there is a lot to dissect in Blue Velvet. And I mean a lot. So uh, definitely if you want to have another movie that Dell's really deep. Blue Velvet is utterly fascinating. It uh, has a troubling subject matter, to say the least. So it's not for everybody. It's definitely a hard R. It's a great yeah. David Lynch movie, though. Um, I will recommend also um, Insomnia. Um, the original, Nor the original like um, Norwegian one. Um, to me, honestly, I think this film feels more like Northern European than it does French. Um, so there's a lot of insomnia, I think, in this, at least in the visual design. I'm also going to recommend Three Colors Blue, which, um, came out in 1993. That was directed by Christoph Kilowski. I probably said that name totally wrong. He did the Three Colors trilogy. He did blue, um, red and white. I've only seen blue and it's fantastic. 
It's on HBO Max right now, actually. Mm. So if you haven't checked out um, Three Colors Blue, I highly recommend it. For me, um, I'm going to, and you, you brought this up at the very beginning of the discussion portion. Um, I'm going to recommend Eraserhead. Um, definitely some, like we mentioned, Dave Lynch vibes, definitely some vibes also from uh, Eraserhead along with Blue Velvet. Um, I'm also going to go ahead and recommend Kresha. That's a film that also deals with some pretty uh, heavy subject matter. Um, both with the main characters trying to seek, you know, trying to repair some some kind of wrongdoing that they've done. Um, so I'm, I'm going to recommend Kresha, uh, one of my favorites. I've been debating if I'm going to, if I should recommend this one or not. I think I'm going to go ahead and do it. There's a film called Climax that exists. Um, it's a French film um, that you might want to be a little bit careful with because it's, it does have some graphic nudity if that's a thing that, you know, you're not a very big fan of very very interesting somewhat experimental film about a group of dancers who someone someone drugs the punch bowl and they all just go nuts um very interesting film very heavy um but i think that there are similar vibes between this and climax so those are my three alan i gotta say i'm actually really surprised that Denis's next directorial feature length film didn't come until nine years later or at the very least it wasn't released until 2009 that's right yeah polytechnique um <laughs> well if you thought that maybe after uh you know maelstrom which was kind of depressing and you know has a lot to think about <laughs> that uh, we would be out of that uh, no uh, i have seen polytechnique it's um it's a very heavy movie so i guess corbin for next week be be prepared um to watch something that's really heavy because it's um it's about a school shooting so great uh, yeah we're not out of the woods yet with uh depressing and uh thought maybe i guess this one is a bit different from thought-provoking but uh still very sad and depressing denis villeneuve films yet we've only gotten we're only like dipped our toes in with Milsham, I believe. It does appear that he directed one episode of the TV series The Art of Seduction in 2006, the short 120 Seconds to Get Elected in 2006, Un Cri à Bonheur in 2007, the short 2008 short Next Floor, and then finally... It seems like, and finally, he hits his stride in 2009 with Polytechnic, because from there on out, he becomes a full-time filmmaker. But more or less, he just kind of disappeared from the movie scene for almost a decade. Yeah. That is just crazy. Yeah, and I think, you know, with Polytechnic, did, from what I understand, it did pretty all right. We'll find out next week if that's true. But I know <laughs> that Incendies, and then right after Incendies was Enemy, uh, those were the big three that started to really put him on the map. And of course, we'll get in. Well, we've already talked about prisoners, but that was the one that like really solidified his name um, as a, you know, a promising filmmaker. So we're still in early uh, Denis Villeneuve territory, but you'll start to see with the next few, um, you know, we'll start to see that that signature, I guess, Denis style kind of started coming into play now yeah i'm i'm just really excited to i have not seen 
his movies. Uh, I have not seen Incendies, Polytechnique, um, maybe one after that as well. So I'm curious to see what he does with these next couple ones. And like you said, he kind of like hits his Denny stride, like what everybody knows him for. So I'm pretty excited for that. But listeners, you're going to want to come back next week to learn what in the world Denis was doing besides making those shorts, because clearly you can't live off shorts. So you're going to want to come back next week for your guide to Polytechnique, where we will talk about what in the wide world of sports Denis Villeneuve was doing after making his second film and why there was a a huge gap between technically his third film. So I'm excited for it. I'm excited to hear about that as well and just going forward with with that uh, which where are we stopping alan we should tell the listeners now that we're not going straight through with denny i know we've brought it up before but um we are not going straight through we're actually um creating we're putting the movie review series in half for this year actually so we're cutting it at incendies so we have polytechnique next week and then Incendies after that. And then we're going to take a little bit of a break to do some Kung Fu Panda um, and a couple other retrospectives before we're hopping back into it um, to finish up before Dune. So it'll be a little bit before we return to uh, Denis um, after Incendies. I think a couple months while we are doing other retrospectives and, and whatnot. So... Yeah, that's our cutting point. Okay. I think that's probably actually the perfect stopping point with Incendies because after Incendies comes his 2013 American hit, Prisoners, and from there on out is when Denny mm-hmm. just becomes a brute force in the cinema world, especially here in America. He really makes that transition from foreign French filmmaker to more of a mainstream powerhouse So that's probably the perfect place to cut it off. But of course, we will be coming back um, later this year, closer to leading up to Dune. um, We will will do a special re-release of our old Prisoners review with a new, at the very least, a new intro talking about how our thoughts have changed, our review style have changed, if we have any different thoughts of the movie before leading into our old review that you can check out in its entirety for free it was originally released um as a bonus premium episode with our hannibal lecter movie review series as a companion Mm -hmm. episode and of course we've already released blade runner 2049 so that's a newer denis film uh as of right now don't have any plans to do any re-release of a new review or a new intro or anything like that that review is available now for free for you to listen to if you uh, don't want to stop at incendies or don't want to stop right now you're welcome to go ahead and check that out link to that in the description below and i'm going to be super excited to review sicario and arrival two movies that i've seen once and wasn't quite sure how to feel about them actually um finishing them up so with our ssg goggles on we will go in and I'm going to very much review it with a critical eye this time, not just as a movie goer, but as a movie reviewer. So curious Mm -hmm. to see how my thoughts will change. Oh, and of course I can't wait to dissect enemy with you, Alan. One of honestly, one of my favorite movies of, of that year. Can't wait. 
That'll be an interesting interesting discussion. I've only seen it once and I've been really needing to watch it again because uh, that was a film that I knew that there was a lot to it um, and I needed a second watching to get it all. So I'm really excited for that. But that isn't until September uh, when that <laughs> one releases. So we, gotta, we-, we got a while before we can get there. We got a long ways before we get there, but listeners, definitely check out the review schedule so you don't have to just listen to it. You can definitely join the discussion that way. All right, listeners. Well, the question after the show is, if you had a talking fish, would you let it speak or would you just go ahead and chop chop its head off? (laughs) All right. Well, that just about wraps it up for our review of Denis Villeneuve's Maelstrom. So definitely stay tuned because next week we're sticking with Denis Villeneuve and we're going to be returning with Polytechnique. So we'll see you then, listeners. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. One night, BB is driving home and she is very drunk from a night of clumbing. Plumbing. Clubbing. <laughs> So, Alan, I'm free. Excuse me, I'm losing my voice. I spilled some of my water earlier, so. (laughs) Oh, no. It's also really hot in the house. Um, Had to shut the air off. Okay, that's it. Oh, wait, did you you come up with a question, Alan? I did not, no. Nah. Mm, I I wouldn't even know what to ask. (laughs) I don't even know either. (laughs) Um, hmm. Uh, I feel like we should ask something concerning the fish. I don't know. If you had a talking fish, would you chop its head off or would you listen to it? I think that's good. I think that's going to work. Okay. Okay. You can ask it. (laughs) All right. All right, listeners. The question after the show. I'm getting tired. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm, my voice is done. (laughs) Yep.